Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag. And I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right? I mean, no, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there the re-watchingtons bomb and it's full Ooh. and unadulterated cut early drops of cinephobe episodes and so much more said the og pod now is it new or is it old mace i'm glad you asked that it is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old og pod oh. so it's me zach trey Waz, tom i love those guys just like we always were going back to the true hoop days mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic recapturing it and putting it back out we're talking hoops we're talking pop culture and most importantly we're talking for 40 minutes for free mm-hmm. but then another specific patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes funny enough about that og pod you're getting tom and trey on mondays you're getting me and waz aka zosny on wednesdays a means floating in between i'm a floater you never know when you're gonna get a mean in those so you gotta listen to them all and what if i'm not sure what maze looks like because i've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora he's got a weird voice how can i see for myself what this maze character actually looks like it's crazy you don't know the answer to this mm. because it's the cinephobe pod youtube page what the ct5s on the cinephobe pod youtube page you can look at all of us you can get all the og pods on youtube too at count the dings one on youtube at cinephobe pod on youtube patreon.com slash count the dings gets you everything all in one feed you can link it to your spotify and now enjoy the show This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tom, what is your favorite guilty carb? Cape Cod salt and vinegar chips. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's good. I got an obvious one. It's pizza. Everybody's favorite carb is pizza. This is Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Ornovitz. And I'm Tom Haberstroh. Tom, we're finally into the action. Throat clearing is done. Week two, individual competition to start in quick fire. A little baseball-ish team competition, but it's really an individual competition. Uh, action in the elimination challenge. There are a few surprises here, given what we thought going in and our general scout on a lot of these contestants. Some big surprises, some not-so-big surprises. But all in all, it's good to kind of get into the action. I love the draft. 
like your preview, but now the rubber hits the road. This is where we are. Yeah, I really loved this episode. I loved the whole uh, sporting competition. I thought the Magical Elves or the the team, the Brain Trust, the Top Chef, just nailed that game. The gamified competition was really thoughtful. I like the, the the game itself, the rules, the back and forth. There is one small tweak that maybe we can talk about later, um, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed this episode. I, I thought it was excellent, especially because the Chef Testants that did really well we actually didn't see them do well in the first episode. So I feel like the race, that the playing field is a lot flatter than I had imagined after watching the first episode. Tom loves nothing more than a challenge that requires game theory and strategy. I was thinking of you as I was watching it. Let's get started with the, um, let's get started with the quickfire, kind of fun Tex-Mexy quickfire. Queso. And who doesn't love queso? I struggle with queso because queso just means cheese. So when people are talking about, hey, I don't know, you know, I don't know queso or, uh, you know, I've never had queso before. I guess what they're saying is like the melted cheese that has a little bit of a kick to it, right? Like, because when I, when I think about cheese, like queso, I'm just thinking literally, like that's just cheese. Like we've all had cheese. I don't know the branding of queso, queso dip, but I, I, you know what? I really like the inventive part of this episode because the last one was kind of just beef, like straight beef, like 18 things of beef. This one, it it, it required people to get a little bit more creative, um, even though I, I don't agree with Sarah that ice cream is just cold cheese. I don't know if your thoughts on that theory, that ice cream is just cold cheese. I mean, she's got a point. Obviously, one is sweet, one is savory. But I'm going I'm to challenge your police work here, Tom. And I thought the, we saw Joe in the preparation of the queso mention her roux, you know, and that's when you mix flour and some kind of fat. It can be butter. It can be lard, whatever it is, because you get that. Now, now, you know how queso, good queso has that texture. There's a certain thickness to it, some viscosity. You know, it's not just you throw a block of cheddar in a pan, right? You got to. Uh, you know, you, you got to do a little more. And I, and I thought that, you know, honestly, the losers of this challenge or the bottom were often thin quesos. And the winners, it wasn't so much, oh, we love the taste. It was the texture, right? Like good queso is, you know, I like something else Joe said. She's like, this is this is a kind of a technical challenge that might be disguised as sort of a fun populist challenge. And and because it does require just more than melting cheese. So, so it was fun. And, you know, I do love queso. I generally like it with a flour tortilla. Uh, I'm not as much of a tortilla chip man. Mm. I know you miss out on the crunch. I kind of like this sort of pillowy on soft. I, I, I love that oh, texture. The Totopos from um, from Takiza in Miami Beach uh, are – it's the best. The best tortilla chips or any sort of um, – chip in it, that I've had in the country. I love the Takiza uh, chips and dip. They're fantastic. And so, you know, this, this, I was excited, um, to see this challenge because I, I love cheese. Like when they showed the little fondue pot, you know, spilling over in the opening moments of this quick fire, got a little excited in size because, because who doesn't love to dip my kids, my kids were like five and two, like you put something on a plate and they're like, I don't want to eat that. And then you say, but you can dip it. They're like, oh, I love this. There's something in like instinctual that people love dipping. So I'm a big fan of this quick fire. No, and, and Chick-fil-A has made a business out of the love of dipping. <laughs> in fact, I do love cheese as well. And I, I would I would encourage the hospitality industry to consider putting good cheese in my mini bar fridge. Oh wow. Uh, I, I mean, why not? 
why not? We'd all be 20 pounds fatter if that were the case. Their objective is to sell $3 items for 13. So I mean, that, that would work. So Tom, we, uh, you know, I, I have a couple rubrics here for the quick fire. I have team thin, and those were the uh, contestants that failed in the challenge because it just was too thin, the, the queso. Roberto, oy, now I'm starting to have second thoughts. <laughs> oh, now you're starting to have second thoughts. Okay. I had first thoughts about him. <laughs> right. Stephanie's was uh, kind of a watery. She wasn't on the bottom, but it was sort of thin. Sam, not only was the scallion pancake a grease bomb, but even the cheese looked a little thin. So it was very clear. Yeah, you can dress it up. You can doll it up. Hey, you got some chorizo in there. You know, you got some smoked paprika. But by and large, the judges were looking for texture. Yeah, yeah. Looking for texture and uh, a little too much texture. Or I guess I should say a little too much um, smoke. Uh, Jackson, I don't know what you're doing, man. Too clever by half. Too clever by half, exactly. Like Pat was like, the whole point of this was to dip something in something else, and you had no dip. And Jackson just, uh, I don't know whether you know he 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 can't even point to the handicap of he can't smell or taste for this one. It just was a, a, a whiff. He tried to be cute. Don't try to be cute in an early quick fire. Yeah. So on the top, Tom, some real mystery guests. Nobody from the top five or six. We had Damar and Nick and Evelyn. Nick, I, I mean, I was a little concerned, like dumping that blue crab and that pork belly, like not the time, not the place, sweet potato chips, and they ate it up. Oh, man. Well, you know what? Uh, Village Tavern, right off the campus of Wake Forest University in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, you go there and they have this uh, crab dip. And it is to die for. Like I will, I will eat it by the gallon. I'm sure there's a thousand places in Maryland that are better than the Village Tavern in Winston Salem. That's a pretty, pretty easy bet. But the, when you have a nice cheesy crab dip, um, there few things are better in this world. So Nick, when I saw that, I was like, "Yep, that's the winner." Um, and then Damar came around with what, what looked like to me, um, it didn't seem like visually a winning dish, but man, did they love the texture, love the spice and Damar just shows out. I mean, this, we'll talk about it later, but Damar just really showed out this episode. Player of the week, Serrano pepper, real risk as a chip. I not even so much the heat, you know, Tom, it, it's not just that it was kind of a crunchy vegetable. It's like, does anyone really like crudite? Does anyone like that sad collection of twigs of carrots and celery? And then, God forbid, like the raw red pepper. Like nobody Ugh. likes that. Um, I've tried to talk myself into carrots and hummus as, as like the quintessential healthy snack. I love because I like carrots and I love hummus. It's just not satisfying. Isn't the the scientific fact that you burn more calories by eating a, a celery stick? Like just the the nutritional value of a celery has the fewest calories, and by chewing it up, you actually like that. It seems like exercise. It seems like cardio for some of these crudités, doesn't it? By the way, I like celery in a tuna salad. I am a fan, but but Demar takes this risk. He's chopping up little wedges of serrano pepper with his cheddar smoked paprika. By the way, a totally totally underused spice and then the breadcrumbs right he got the texture thing you know it's amazing to me that more chef testants don't kind of make that almost a prerequisite for any dish like time and again judges table you got the textures the textures the textures and it's not a really hard thing to do but you know he showed out as you said evelyn 
adobo con queso with taro chips. I don't think there was anything fancy. She just nailed the texture. Yeah. So Evelyn, um, in the last episode, if you haven't listened to it yet, we broke down, uh, you know, we did the draft and we broke down each contestant after what we had seen. Um, and one of the things we talked about with Evelyn was, is there really an advantage with being the hometown chef? Um, and she described it as an advantage. And so Kevin, I have some research. You have some research. Hometown chefs on top chef. What would you say out of just like, let's say 15 chefs, what would you say is the average finish of the hometown chef? I did the research. There are 21 hometown chefs in the history of Top Chef. And I, I, I did not include the all-star seasons because it just seemed like a, a different category. So just the, the regular first round of Top Chef, um, their first go around, there are 21 home chefs. What would you say was the average finish? One through 15, let's call it, of a hometown chef. 5.7. Oh, that's close. It's close. The answer is 7.6. Really? Almost halfway in between. That's halfway, man. There's, so there's no correlation. Yeah. I mean, we've gotten a couple of winners. So Paul Key from uh, Austin, Texas in the Texas episode, Texas season, which was one of the most dominant top chef performances we've ever seen. He just ran the table that season. Uh, then you have Stephanie Izard, Chicago. She was a chef in Chicago and did amazingly in that season too. But like, you know, there's not like five winners from the hometown chef. You have a couple runner-ups here, Nina Compton in New Orleans, the New Orleans season, Amar Santana um, in the California season. And then you ha- he finished second. And then Sarah Bradley, our favorite, uh, Sarah Bradley from Paducah, Kentucky, finished second to Kelsey in the Kentucky season. So we've had some hometown heroes finish near the top or at the top, but on average, 7.6 finish for the hometown heroes. Kevin, that is your top chef analytics of the day. Yeah. So, so basically there's nothing here, nothing to see here. I'm not going to fault Evelyn for saying like, I, I I have an advantage, but the, the numbers say that you might as well be for Mars. It doesn't matter. You're going to be at 7.6 average turnaround. There's a lot of tens, a lot of 11s, there's 15s and 14s. So we'll see, we'll see how Evelyn shakes out, but she definitely did a great job bouncing back in this episode. You want to move on to elimination? Cause I just think there's so much there. I mean, the queso was fun. We saw a little bit of sort of knowing the challenge, understanding the challenge, creativity. But I, but I think the elimination was uh, interesting. And I mean, tell, talk us through because I, I think you have a certain appreciation for for challenge structure, for game theory. I mean, what was – but before we even get into the food and we get into the matchups, what was your general impression about the structure – and strategy required in this elimination challenge. Yeah, they did uh, essentially a football game with two teams. um, And then there's offense and defense. There's some game theory there. There's point system. Basically, one team, uh, Team Cougar, and then Team uh, Wildcats. Don Burrell is the captain or the coach of the Team Wildcats. And then Sam, uh, you know what? Let me just, yeah, Sam Talbot. Let me back up. And Sam Talbot was the uh, the coach of the Cougars. And I thought both coaches were excellent choices. I really like some of their insights and their coaching, their energy. It was great. You had the mascots out there, which is also a big plus. Who doesn't love a good ma- mascot? Um, there was offense and defense. This was a little confusing to me at first when they were giving the rules. I thought one team was just always going to be on offense and one team was just always going to be on defense, but there was a coin flip and the coin flip determined who was going to go first. And the offensive team, um, got to choose which person was going to cook first. 
Like wh- who's in the next chef that's going to present their dish. And then the defense after that was going to pick who was going to face that, 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 um, that chef head to head. And uh, then there was five judges. Each judge gets a vote. And if you get a vote, you, you get uh, five points. So there's maximum 25 points for each head-to-head matchup. And the first team to 100, essentially five yards um, for each vote, the first team to 100 yards wins the challenge. If they did not get to 100 yards, and this is kind of where I wanted to ask you what you thought about this, if they didn't get to 100 yards after the seven head-to-heads, then they just say, to hell with the teams, the MVP can come from both teams, and the eliminated chef can come from both teams. So that's the table that's being set ahead of this competition. Did you think it was a little too complicated or did you feel like, Hey, if you're going to do a football game, you got to lay out all of these rules. No, I'd like the rules. I mean, I've always have a certain conflict about these, as I say, individual challenges masquerading as a team challenge. You know, there were several instances clearly where two of the better dishes of the afternoon or evening rather were matched up against each other. It's kind of arbitrary, but, but I like the basic structure in this sense. There were 175 yards available. Right, because there are 35 votes slash pom poms, five yards of vote, and so I did like the hundred yard rule in the sense that hey, if you guys can dominate, so be it. Um, but if not, that does give us the freedom to pick the best dish. There's nothing more frustrating than when the best dish is on the losing team, right? And and that's not meritocratic. So I did like the fact that they. It kind of calibrated the competition to allow for that. And as it turned out, as we know, uh, neither team got to to cut to their 100 yards. It was nip and tuck the whole day. Did you feel like the winning team with the most points – let's say you didn't get to the touchdown as Padma called it. You didn't get to the end zone, but you had more points than the other team. Do you think you should have gotten some sort of bonus there or an advantage that you were safe no, no, I think what they, they did that essentially. They said, hey, you got to get past 100, not just squeak out a win. We will we will honor that if you're dominating. And so I, I was fine with that. Okay. Uh, and again, it's, it's win-win. I mean, because again, one of the things I liked is, don't forget our winner, if I'm correct. I mean, the Cougars won the final score, right? I have it as Wildcats, but maybe I was wrong on that. There was that last round where Sarah got pounded 5-0. I thought that flipped the, the the Cougars ahead. I thought they just staved off elimination. So it was, I think oh, it was 90 okay. to 60 going into that final round. And then she, oh, okay. Jackson swept. Gotcha, so that gotcha, would give gotcha. him 25. And then it was 85. So Wildcats finished with 90 points and the Cougars had 85. So neither team crossed the, the 100 point 100 yard um, threshold but but to me i was a little like well what do what do the wildcats get for beating the cougars in terms of the point total i guess you're right is if they get to 100 they get that that immunity for their team and they can't have an eliminated chef so uh, i get that i get that so um in the end of the day, I thought this was an excellent, excellent rubric uh, point system. I thought it was really fun. The camaraderie of the teams, the competition, uh, it really breathed through in this episode. And I and I really liked that drama between Sarah and Sam. That was really cool because there's a lot of game theory in there. But let's go dish, dish by dish, matchup by matchup here uh, from the start. Yeah, first round, uh, two, two, two heavyweights. As, as we're, we're finding that we drastically underrated DeMar, he represented the Wildcats. Buddha, 
represented the cougars. I liked the look of both of these dishes. You know, Buddha did a majadra, which is which kind of like Middle Eastern rice and beans, except it's lentils instead of beans. Sometimes a yogurt sauce, sometimes just kind of savory onions. But but it is a it is kind of the, every culture has its rice and beans. Just about this was uh, sort of to the Middle East. And Damar does kind of a dirty rice with sausage thighs and chicken livers, except instead of rice, he does farro. So you know he takes a, a you know he he gets he leaves rice for for someone else, and he wins four to one on a dish that I have to imagine for Buddha was, was kind of in the top half. We'll never know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're right. This is the gripe with the head to head matchups where it's like, man, Buddha might've had like a top three dish here and didn't, didn't win his matchup against Demar, but that's life. Right. So in this one, I thought was really interesting to me was Demar goes, look, I got immunity. Why don't I get out at first and everyone else who's got to work on your dishes I'll I'll fall on the sword. And I'll do the first dish because I got immunity. Like I don't have to worry about getting tossed home because I was the first one. I didn't have my dish ready. And, you know, we'll get we'll get it into it later. But uh Damar just not only gets immunity, but he wins the wins the whole thing. So that's the second time that's happened. And uh it's really amazing to think like, hey, Damar, we didn't think very much of him in the first episode, but with this dirty pharaoh dish, everyone loved it. And Buddha, you know, Buddha to me feels a lot like Brian Voltaggio, Kevin, where every dish that he puts out, it's beautiful. Fine dining, like you are floored by the presentation. But to win Top Chef, it can't just be all about appearance, right? It can't be all about presentation. It has to really taste good. And I wonder if this dish from Buddha, if it's put up against, you know, everybody else in the competition, where it lands in the hierarchy. So he, he doesn't get the winning dish on this round, uh, but shouts to Damar going four, one to Buddha, who seemed like the favorite going into this one. Round two was interesting before the walk to the judges table, because Ashley for the Cougars essentially jumps the line. It's very clear that Stephanie, who has struggled. Hello, listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher turned podcast producer. And I'm here to talk to you about ButcherBox. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com slash dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. Was going to go second. And then Ashley takes a look at her Tef 
and turkey meatballs and says, I got to get out there. And I, I feel Stephanie felt the same way. But but Ashley goes out there with her pharaoh and quinoa porridge with those teff and turkey meatballs. Teff is the, is the grain that you use to make injera in Ethiopian food, you know, that spongy bread that you put all the dishes on. Uh, Luke goes, I, I don't know if it was pumpkin. He said pumpkin. It also looked like butternut squash. And I think the show had it, butternut squash, a walnut, a walnut black garlic, chicken, seaweed reduction. Uh, and Ashley takes it four to one. It's clear Luke's dish is bland and they like what Ashley did. Yeah, this was a, a Team Haverstro, Team Haverstro matchup here, and I'm worried about Luke. That's the second time in a row he's used a, a, a seaweed dish, if I remember correctly, and, and it's just bland. And it looked great. It had the little like pancake on the top of it, and it looked cool. But just in the same way that Buddha had something that looked cool and looked beautiful and tasted well, Luke just – it did not land. It did not. And uh, that's the – I'm worried about Luke. But Ashley still feeling great about that pick. Yeah, at some point Luke's going to have to cook something that's good. He's over four, <laughs> uh, one of which he didn't even show. So I, I just, you know, I again, I don't give a crap where he cooked, um, but it's not, it's not working. Round three, Jay does a frika salad tossed in fermented, fermented plum. My guy Robert does a mushroom taco. It is three to two, Robert. I get the sense that Jay, along with Monique, had one of the two best losing dishes of the day. But they loved Robert's mushroom taco. Yeah, I love a good mushroom taco. I already I already gave a shout out to Takis, but I'll say it again. Their their mushroom taco there is fantastic. And I gotta say, Robert, again, I don't have much confidence in him because he doesn't have much confidence in himself. And then he goes and wins this round with Jay. Jay had amazing textures. Uh, Brooke Williamson really loved her dish, but Rob continues to overachieve his confidence. And he does a nice job here uh, with the avocado and the mushroom taco. Well done by Robert. I'm still nervous. And the quick fire really threw me for a loop with him because those, those breaded, white asparagus stems, which like looked like that like that Costco-y frozen fried mozzarella sticks in the bag. It wasn't even tempura-ish. It looked terrible. The judges didn't like it as an accompaniment. It's clear his, his cheese wasn't good. So I, I'm starting to get a little concerned. Again, I chose him with the understanding that he might not very well win the competition, but that he plays out, that, that, I, that he'll be around a while. Uh, I, I'm still reasonably confident that's the case. But, you know, that might be something that really haunts me this season. Speaking of haunting, uh, round four, we've got Joe that I'm feeling <laughs> very good about. Yeah. And we've got Stephanie. She does feijoada, not really. Eh. Joe does a barley congee and, and in her during her preparation gets some great coaching from Don Burrell, who says it needs a little more. You got to have more flavor. They come up with black garlic, which turned out to be the ingredient that allows Joe to win 5-0. Uh, now, it might just have been Stephanie's failures. Who knows how she, how Joe's dish ranked in the grand scheme of things. But she won 5-0. I, I, I do want to talk about Stephanie, but what were your thoughts here? Well, you're talking to someone who, for the first four years of his life, ate nothing but a Jose Feijão, which is in, in Brazil. It's just rice and beans. Every day... 
breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, my entire, like, I think I must've eaten like six tons worth of rice and beans when I was a little kid. We lived, we grew up in, um, in Sao Paulo for four years. Uh, and I came back to the States when I was like four and a half and I don't remember eating anything else other than, uh, rice and beans, black beans. And it's whenever I have it now, you need a little salt, you need a little meat in there. Um, it's a really wonderful dish if you can hit it. And it seemed like for Stephanie, who had a friend who taught her how to make this dish, it was just too basic. You know, the, I think Tom Calicchio mentioned that, that there were so many amazingly complex dishes and you have to do something a little bit more innovative with that dish um, in order to wow the judges. And, it, you know, it was cool to see that she was going to do a, a feijoada, but when I'm eating rice and beans, uh, it takes me back to just, you know, a little bit of um, – it's like comfort food. And I just wished she did something more with it. I know she threw a little bit of like a cilantro salad, but you and I both know, just don't do the cilantro thing. We're good on, hold the cilantro, please. We don't need any soap uh, herbs in this dish. So I was, I was bummed to see that it didn't land because I do love a rice and beans, a Jose Feijão dish as much as anybody. Yeah. I, I mean, the big thing with Stephanie and we saw it coming is there are just too many red flags. If every simple challenge flummoxes you, right? Two, two elimination challenges, two issues. Last week it was, she didn't like the flavor profile. She doesn't like cooking with Asian food as if that's really hard to make as a modification. This week she's adamant about working with rice when they're kind of divvying up the grains, you know, never mind that she mutilated the rice. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yep. Then it's like, oh, hey, you know, Ashley's got to go ahead and, and rightly so. I mean, Ashley's a better chef with a better dish. That's an issue. Kevin, it is an issue. And you know what also is an issue? The lying. The lying. Oh, about the, the cum tom? Yeah. The broken rice. In other words, the only time you want broken rice is at a Vietnamese diner basically, right? Like you always see the broken rice. I think 10% of Vietnamese restaurants that do that are called cum tom. And I think – you don't want that in this dish. But but the point I'm making is like if you can't do an Asian flavor with a steak, if you're only – if the only grain you're comfortable with is rice, if being bumped one slot in the competition or two slots freaks you out, then I'm sorry you're not fit for purpose. You shouldn't be on the show. It's disappointing because – you know, one of the things I've experienced the last few years is I've had great meals in places you wouldn't expect to have great meals. I wasn't in Bismarck, but we had a lovely dinner in Fargo. We had a really nice dinner in Billings, Montana, some good food there, right? Like I'm excited to see the show sort of expand the net to, you know, places that they haven't otherwise, at least the talent they have not tapped or explored in those markets. So it's disappointing, but She's not fit for this. And if I gave you North Dakota chef, the first elimination challenge is going to have to do with beef. And the next one's going to have to do with, um, with carbs. I would have put her really high on that list of like, you know what? Those are two items that I think someone uh, with her background is going to be able to nail. And then it just, it did not work out. And I, I, I don't like the whole like lying up on the, on the uh, judge's table. They can sense it when they ask about the broken rice. And she says that I like it that way. Like, no, no, no one's believing that. I, I feel like she should have owned it instead of lying about, I mean, all right, maybe I'm, I'm, Maybe I'm being too harsh here that she was lying. She was trying to she was trying to work the judges a little bit. I think they could smell that. I think they could smell the fact that she wasn't being forthright. If you do, if you overcook the rice and they break, just say, you know what? 
uh, overcooked it or didn't cook it correctly. I own it. I recognize it because I think they respect that more, Kevin, than saying, yeah, I like my rice broken there. So she's gone. Please pack your knives and go. Round five. This becomes interesting, right? This is a major coaching decision. So they were all set, the Wildcats, to have Monique do dessert last, presumably against Jackson's dessert, which will probably go last. But they call an audible, Tom. Mm. They call an audible. They decide that Monique has the best remaining dish. So what they want to do is put the team away, get to 100. Let's send Monique out there in lieu of Sam. Let's bump him back. Let's get our best dish out there and try to close this game. What did you think of the decision, irrespective of the results? I kind of get their theory here, but it has to be such a good dessert from Monique that you're going to be able to no doubt win this this round. And they're looking at Nick um, and they're saying, you know, may, maybe he didn't show out in the first episode. And, and if we can just nail this dessert and bring it out early, you're break, you're basically in the baseball playoffs. In the postseason, you bring out your Mariano Rivera a little earlier in the seventh inning because you, you you feel like you need to close the door earlier, but it, it didn't work. It didn't work. And there was real resentment between Sam and Sarah for that move. Sam, Sam surprisingly didn't see this Sam. I didn't see this out of him in the previous episode that he was going to be kind of the leader here and step up and say like, we got to close the door. Let's go. And Sarah from the beginning was like, I, I don't, I don't agree with this, but all right, fine, whatever. Monique comes out with her dish and big upset here. Nick wins four to one. And I think it kind of shakes the team, uh, the key team chemistry you could see went a little off kilter there. Yeah, Nick does some some great Southern cooking, uh, sweet potato with pot liquor. It, it, pot liquor is the sort of the lovely remains of when you make collard green with a ham hock. The sludge that is actually delicious because it's been the braising liquid for you know a vegetable and a protein, etc. cetera. Uh, then he kind of light brightens it up, which I really was impressed by. Lemon yogurt, Swiss chard. He gets some grains on the dish for crunch. Another contestant who did very well this week that I had way down on my board. Uh, I've gotten a little lucky here, Tom. I mean, I'm not going to tell you, you know, with Damar <laughs> yeah. and Nick, like, you know, I, I was some wizard. We both passed and, you know, I took them last, I believe. Yeah, but we also took uh, Stephanie last and we were we nailed that one. That's true. And so I got I got stuck with Stephanie's minus five on this episode. You know, Nick. Nick did something in this episode that I thought was really funny is when Tom goes over there and tastes his dish. I don't know what that expression was, but I'll tell you what. I he, every time it amazes me about Tom. He's a man of mystery. Uh, he's a, yeah, he is. Kevin, he's got a good poker face, Tom Colicchio. Like we talked, I think we did bring it up with him when he's tasting dishes. Does he play mind games with the shift testants? Because Nick definitely picked up on that. He's like, I've been watching Top Chef and man, Tom Colicchio tasting your dish. He's, he's got a great poker face. Yeah, I, I, I still love that. Tom snooping around the, <laughs> the kitchen during prep is still one of the, always one of the most rewarding moments of the season. We get to round six. We got Evelyn. Versus Sam. Now, now Evelyn had an interesting day. She was doing rice noodles. She did not like the way they were turning out. A little slimy, maybe a little overdone. She calls another. She calls an audible. Kind of combines four grains and does essentially the same dish with 
I think the vinegar and the herb salad and the turmeric sea bass up against Sam, who's had a little bit of a rough go in the early going. He does a roasted sweet potato, kind of reminiscent of Nick's and Luke's with brown butter, white soy and a yogurt dressing done with anchovies. Yeah. Any kind of potato I'm in love with. Baked potatoes, potato chips, shrimp, gumbo, french fries, deep fried, stir fried, mashed potatoes, shrimp, creole, potato salad, shrimp and potatoes, palm puree. That's, that's about it. Oh man, my mouth is watering thinking about this right now. My uh, carb of choice is potatoes. My, my man, yeah. we on the potato ride. He wins four to one. I thought this was a little bit of an upset. I didn't have really high aspirations for Sam. He did very well here. Yeah, it's got to taste good. Bottom line, Sam did not look very good with the with the yogurt uh, just slop there. Um, and when you look at Sarah last season, Sarah, that was her thing, right? It was that she had yogurt on every dish and it seemed to be pretty good for her. And then in this episode, I thought Sam, uh, nailed that anchovy, uh, like sour cream, uh, yogurt, whatever you want to call it. And it looked awesome. Good for Sam to pull that, that victory out. And I will say this, Evelyn did not go for this, the, the Steph school of judges table where her philosophy is like, make up a reason why you did something poorly. Evelyn got coached by Sam Talbot, former top chef contestant, really good advice here is just said, you know what? I made, I had to make a pivot here and I didn't like the way that the, the, the slimy, uh, noodles turned out. So I decided to pivot to, to mixed greens. I think that's the smart move. Own it, have some accountability on your own decision-making. And I thought, you know, it would have served her well at the judges table, but her dish didn't taste nearly as good as Sam and Sam takes it four one, which goes into the showdown 90 points to 60 points. They need to get to a hundred team. Wildcats is right there at the one yard line, essentially. And what happens? Marty ball. <laughs> Marty Schottenheimer started coaching uh, the team. Jackson decided to do a dessert polenta cake with a blueberry compote. Sarah did a celebration of chickpea, which I guess <laughs> is the same thing in the sense that the New York Jets do a celebration of football. It was not a celebration. It was a, a wake for the chickpea. I thought Sarah is one of the strongest competitors coming in. I still think she's a very strong competitor who had just had a bad idea. She loses 5-0. And interestingly, they made a very pointed comment, or Tom Colicchio did, Despite the fact that Jackson won with a unanimous decision that had he gone up against Monique, who lost, he would have been in trouble. Yeah, poor Sam here. Sam just got demoted from the managerial position. No longer the player coach. He's been demoted, just player now. By the way, I want to, I because I didn't talk about it earlier, I still like the decision. I still think that's a good decision. In fact, I got to think, Tom, and, and you're the game theory expert here. Don't you just want to roll out your dishes in order of quality? Mm. Don't you just want to get on the board? Isn't that the strategy? Kevin, I feel like I'm going to mean on Basketball Illuminati here where I'm just I'm just patting you on the head, Kevin. Don't you realize that they've got to get to seven contestants on this show? Oh, come on. Come on. I'm just saying. I'm just saying if the first three dishes or first four dishes, if they deserved five votes from each chef and they just won a hundred points to zero in the first four rounds. That's not good TV. They got all, right, all right. Let's game this out. I'm just saying I want to do a parallel universe. So we're going to do the Wildcats. They already had Damar first. Good call. Best dish of the day. They win. Let's say that Ashley's Pharaoh and Turkey meatball instead goes up against Joe. 
What do we think? I mean, we have not tasted the food. But I think they were more excited about Joe. Instead, Ashley wins four to one. Then we go with, it's not going to be Stephanie. We got Robert possibly here. We've got Sam's roasted potato. But let's just assume it was Robert. He won the first challenge. They might perceive that to be a better dish. If we had Robert, so he was the third person anyway. So he would have won three, two. Then we got probably Sam going up against Stephanie. Come on. Anybody up against Stephanie. I hear what you're saying. Tom, I'm telling you, you got to go early. I hear what you're saying, but there's going to be that little thing, that little voice in the judge's head that we got to, we got to get to all seven chefs here. So even if it was a blowout, you put your four conspiracy theorists, they still would have marched them out um, because you still have, (laughs) look, there's still something at stake, right? You can't, you could don't, you could, you know, the, the winning team chefs who still have yet to come out, still have a chance for MVP and the losing team chefs would still have to prove that they're not the worst dish. So I got to, tell you tom fair enough what you're saying is that the game isn't called after the team gets to 100 just means that they get the mvp and they get immunity from elimination if i were coaching that would be my strategy just line them up in order of quality get the best stuff out there you'll ride it home because all you need is 20 votes okay let me ask you this back to sarah here you're sarah i'm tom click you at the judges table i see you i taste your food and i say did you make the chickpeas or who can they're canned who can is there any good answer to that question? No. And, and by the way, that was my next thing with Sarah. How, how many seasons have we been? 19 <laughs> seasons, right? 18, 19. Tom, how many times the pre-frozen waffle or something that wasn't cooked, be, whatever it is. Yeah, the ravioli. Like you got the frozen ravioli and you threw it in your pasta dish. Yeah, right? like, yeah. like we've seen this time and time again. One of the cardinal rules of Top Chef is don't buy pre-prepared, can, jarred, it doesn't matter. They will not go with it. And and you should know better. You should, if you're going to put on your, put your life aside for three months, you should know very well that judges do not take kindly to that. It is one of the great cardinal sins. It's like in court, the old adage is that when you're in court, the lawyer doesn't ask a question that they don't know the answer to, right? Tom Colicchio is saying here, did you cook the the chickpeas? He knows. He knows she didn't cook the chickpeas. There's no way that he asked that question without knowing the answer. I think he's just wanting to see how she responds. And if she maybe maybe they edited this out in the explanation, but she just says, "Oh, it's canned." And I just my heart fell for her cuz I just knew at that point it was done, finito. And if you are going to be doing canned chickpeas, make sure that it's not the the main event of your dish. Right. I can understand if you're like, hey, I cooked this trout and I wanted to throw some chickpeas in there, but I didn't have enough time to cook them. And so when it's a bit player on my plate, it's okay to have a canned chickpea. But the fact that it was a celebration of chickpeas and you didn't cook the chickpeas yourself, big red flag on that one. And she gets swept five to one, five to zero to the guy who can't even taste or smell food. So what that means is anybody can be MVP. Anybody can be eliminated as it does turn out the team that does finish with a greater score did have the MVP and the team with the lesser score had the eliminated chef tested. So any concerns that we have really were rendered irrelevant. I don't think we're very surprised about Stephanie. We've talked about that. Is Damara sleeping giant? Yeah. I, I wanted to ask you about something. Picking up the phone, calling the GM of Team Arnovitz. Mm-hmm. What would it take to get Sarah? To get Sarah? 
Yeah. What would it take? What would it take on my team? Just asking, just scratching the surface here, just sending feelers out. How available is Sarah on your team? She's, she's had a really rough, I mean, you, you know it, Kevin, she's had a really rough go here. Um, just wondering what would it take on my team? I've got Ashley, Buddha, Luke, Monique, Jay, Sam, Stephanie's off the board. You know, I'm just, I'm just fielding some calls here. I would want probably Monique and a swap. Monique and a swap. But I'm thinking on that's not an official offer. Okay. Okay. I want to okay. start there. All right. And then I might want to throw in. I mean, the thing is, I'm sort of generally happy with my team. I mean, I, I'm not as, I think Evelyn is still a decent I mean, I'm not parting with discussions will continue. Okay. Okay. But I'm open for discussion. I'm open for business, as they say. Okay. The trade lines are open and communication lines are open. They are engaged in trade talks. Can we leak it to to commissioner that we are engaged in trade talks, Kevin? Yeah. Do you actually have to um, report that to the league generally? In my league, you do, Kevin. Okay. In your league, we do. All right. We, we, <laughs> we're officially engaged in trade talks, which will continue. The only two teams in the league are talking. It's a real big, <laughs> big surprise here down at league headquarters. I'm stunned. You want to buy Sarah Lowe, clearly. You know, I think she's she's got some real red flags here. Like I said, she talks a big game and, and she decided to present a celebration of, of chickpeas, uh, canned chickpeas on her dish, Kevin. Read into that as you will. But that's not a right. So, so my one thing I would say is it's the dumbest freaking thing, but at the same time, it's easily preventable, right? If she didn't know, now she does. She's got to be more selective. But I, I, I was very impressed last week with her beef plate. And I think she did a reasonably good job in the, in the challenge. I, it's just one chili bean paste is a smart way to go. Um, I know it wasn't the top three. Uh, one of my qualms about this episode's elimination challenge, one of my only ones though, Tom is why didn't we get three good contestants up there? And then you choose Damar. What's with the only one guy. I thought the same thing again, not a conspiracy theory, but my thought is maybe there was some sort of, um, snafu with the teams that maybe they didn't, it, it didn't seem right that we just got the winner. That is a very big departure from Top Chef yeah. tradition is that we almost always – I can't remember another time where this early in the game we didn't get a top three. Um, and so I'm thinking that maybe there was a mistake or something that happened that they didn't explain the rules correctly or a technicality and they just decide, you know what, let's just say DeMar won. Um so I was I was a little surprised here, and the scoring that I have here is everybody got two points because they finished in the middle, quote unquote, except for Luke at the bottom, Sarah at the bottom. I'm fine with that. And Stephanie was was eliminated, and I didn't get any top three. Now my question is, this is not this is just for discussion here. Do you think that there was a clear top three? And again, we we haven't tasted the food. Obviously, it's 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 the biggest problem about this. I got the sense that Nick, first of all, they love the dish. Secondly, he beat someone they identified who would have beaten other people. That that remember Tom says that dessert was phenomenal. So I've got to assume. Nick has got to be in there. And then it could be, you know, Joe's kanji is interesting, right? She won 5-0, but she was up against the loser, right? How many dishes would have seeded a vote to Stephanie? Even Sarah's, right? Like, like I think that's the question. So I don't know if Joe would be in the top three. You know, they loved Robert's mushroom taco and they also like Jay. So what I'm looking for are players that won against actually good dishes. So I wonder if Robert would have been in there. I don't get the sense he was. I think Nick definitely. They really liked Sam. I'll throw another one in there. Buddha. Buddha. 
Exactly. So, so it's a tough one. I didn't hear a bad thing about Buddha's dish. It's, it's except Amar just was that that great. Right. And so again, like losing to the winner also presents, a, you know, how bad he could have very well had the second best dish. We'll never know. So I, I think it would have been Nick, and then possibly Buddha, possibly Joe, remotely Robert, but I think it would have been. Probably Nick and either Buddha or Joe. Yeah. Or I'm sorry, or Monique, 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 Monique. Monique in there as well. I got to give a shout out to Buddha. We got a little backstory on his name. I love this. I love carbs. Growing up, I was quite a large and happy kid. So I got the nickname Buddha and I love the name. It's about a guy that loves eating and just like super positive. He kept it. Fantastic. I am so glad with my number one pick there with or my and my number two pick. He's on my team. Picked Ashley before Buddha, um, but I I love Buddha, and it, it would take the house for you to for you to acquire him from my team. I love Buddha on this. I wasn't even gonna bother asking. <laughs> He's untouchable. Closing thoughts, Tom. I thought Sarah was gonna show out a little bit better here on this episode, and I'm not just sandbagging her trade value at this point. I love the character. I love the personality of Sarah. Her line that she when she was at the the Whole Foods or the, the grocery store when she said that rack right there is the fucking G spot for all herbs. We need Sarah to stay on this show. She's got some great one liners like Stephanie Seymour from a few years ago. I really enjoy her, but that, whew, an idiot's guide to crippling self-doubt. Yeah, you could say that about her canned chickpeas dish. I need a big bounce back from her if I do acquire her. So we'll see. The trade talks are ongoing. I still have some faith in her. I, again, I, I've seen too much that I've liked to dismiss, you know, on a, on a bad dish. Oh, I forgot. The score, 25 to 5. Kevin, you're up 25 to 5. You had Damar with the rare 13-point sweep because he got the 10 for the elimination challenge win and the quick fire win. So he get, gets 13 points. That's a pretty good start from Damar, I would say. And I would venture to guess that anyone who gets a 13 on this show is going to finish in the top five. So a very good look for Damar. Sarah finishes in the bottom for you, but you collect 25 points to my five. Stephanie is going to the Last Chance Kitchen and we'll cover that for next week's episode of Pack Your Knives because we want to get this out to you as soon as possible. So Stephanie versus Leah in the Last Chance Kitchen. We are big fans of Last Chance Kitchen. Can't wait to watch it again. But yeah, 25 to 5. You are defending your championship quite well here, Kevin. Rolling for Tom Haberstroh. This is Kevin Arnovitz and this is Pack Your Knives. Pack Your Knives.